many months ago that was, and uh, just quickly falling in love with, with you as a church family, and uh, God has a rich history that you've enjoyed and a rich future to look forward to, and I'm privileged and honored to, to be a, a part of it. I have to say, it feels kind of empty up here this morning without all the VBS stuff up here, uh, a little exposed up here, but uh, hopefully I'll get used to that. Um, it's uh, Independence Day week. Uh, as I lay in bed last night, I could hear fireworks going off someplace in the distance. I'm not sure exactly where. Uh, we, we call it the 4th of July, but really it's Independence Day when we celebrate the, the birth of our nation and the fireworks have already begun. And I, I'm pretty sure I, I probably speak for most, if not all of you, uh, that we, we love this, this nation of ours. It's not a perfect nation. We, we know that. We've got struggles. We, we know that as well. But this is our home, uh, at least for the vast majority of us here. This is, uh, this is our nation. And we are so privileged to be called Americans. And we have a freedom. We have a heritage. We have a prosperity that is the envy of the entire world and we have an incredible abundance of natural resources. We have a, a rich diversity of people. And, and yes, we have a Christian foundation uh, that has been there since the very, very uh, beginning that has given us great strength as, as a nation. And on top of all that, this is an incredibly beautiful land. And if you don't believe that, just walk out the door and take a drive any which way you want to go, and you'll, you'll have to agree that this is a beautiful, beautiful land that God has given us. And so maybe this week, in, in connection with some uh, Independence Day celebration, you might have occasion to sing, God Bless America. And I'd have to say, indeed, he has. He has blessed this land. I don't know how anybody could dispute that. We are one of the most blessed nations that has ever existed on planet Earth. I remember back a number of years ago after 9-11, you started to see God bless America and, you know, showing up every place. And sometime after that, I saw a bumper sticker where someone responded to that and they said, God bless the whole world. And I agree with that as well. I mean, that's God's desire to, to bless the, the whole world. Now, I do believe, though, that God has given, actually, a promise in Scripture where America could be blessed as a nation, but there are conditions, okay? Uh, there, uh, there are exceptions. Now, obviously, uh, we, we live in America. We, we, we love America. For most of us, this is our home, okay? But that's not really a good enough reason to merit God's blessing, so here's the question for us today, and we're going to look in God's Word for an answer to this. Why specifically should God bless America? I mean, what reason do we have that he would bless us over any other nation on this earth? I mean, isn't that rather egocentric? You know, are we better than anybody else? Well, not really. But is there a reason in Scripture and in our history as a nation whereby God might choose to bless this nation uh, even perhaps more than many other nations on earth? And it's a very important question, and I really think we need to pay attention to this because there is a promise in Scripture from God to bless America, but it's not unconditional. 
And if we want God's blessing on our country, we had best pay attention to what we need to do to receive that blessing. Now, I want to give you a little bit of fair warning today that my message today is going to touch on some political issues. Now, I don't typically address those things when uh, I'm preaching, and that's really not my focus today. I'm not trying to be partisan in any way, but what I have to say today does clearly have some political implications, and that could be true in a lot of things that I or somebody else might address from the pulpit. You know, if we were to talk about abortion, or if we were to talk about gay marriage, or public prayers, or racial discrimination, or sanctity of marriage, okay, all those things are, are issues that have political implications. So if God's word touches on any of these things, I believe we have solid biblical ground to address them. Because quite, quite frankly, if our faith doesn't make any difference in the world in which we live, then I'd say something is seriously wrong with our faith. And we don't need to be afraid to take a stand for things that God takes a stand for, even if it's not popular, okay, even if it's not politically correct, even if they threaten to throw us in jail for doing it, which could happen someday, uh, in my opinion. It seems like we're more and more headed that direction. But what is this promise I'm talking about whereby God might bless America? And I'd like you to open up your Bibles uh, to find it. It's in Genesis chapter 12. Verse 3, where we find actually the first of quite a few occurrences of this promise in the Word of God. And while you're finding your place there, let me just tell you, there's, this is in connection with, uh, with a conversation that God had with Abraham some 4,000 years ago. Okay, right after he was told to leave his country, leave his homeland, he was in Ur of the Chaldees, down there in what we call southern Iraq today, and, and go to a place uh, where God would, would show him. And actually that place that God took him to, we, we know today as the land of Israel. And here it, here it is, God's promise regarding Israel that we can apply to us, okay? May those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be cursed. Now this is a timeless promise made to Abraham, actually made to Abram before God even changed his name to Abraham. It was passed on down through his line to Isaac and to Jacob and, and then to his descendants, uh, the Jewish people, uh, and what we would call the nation of Israel today. And, and here's, here's the promise as we read it in Genesis. And I'm actually going to back up and, and read starting in verse 2. He says, I will make of you, Abraham, a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And right here is the very beginning of God's plan to make the Jewish people his chosen people. Okay, Now in Abraham's day, the Jewish people didn't even exist yet. They were descendants of Abraham, but he picked them. He chose them, and he wanted to use them in a very special way. And it wasn't because they were any better than anybody else. We know their history. We know that actually was not true. But he chose them because he wanted to use them to be a blessing to the whole earth. So you could say he, he, he blessed them to be a blessing. And right there, the battle lines are 
drawn. Verse 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. So God picked them out of all the people on the face of the earth, and he set them up, you could say, as the apple of his eye. And he said, if anybody touches you to bless you, I will touch them to bless them. But he also said, if anybody lays a hand on you or speaks against you to curse you, they had better watch out because I will curse them. Now that's a promise that was made 4,000 years ago. It has not been revoked and it is in effect just as powerfully today as it was when it was given to Abram. Now, you might uh, raise a question and say, but wait, you know, that was made to Abram, and aren't the Arab peoples also descended from Abraham? And the answer to that question is, yes, they are. But I would say the promise was given specifically to Abraham and then passed down through Isaac and then eventually to, to Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And I want to show you this because this promise gets repeated several times in Scripture Flip over to Genesis chapter 27 and look at verse 29. Now this was uh, two generations later uh, when Isaac, uh, who was the son of Abraham himself now, was a very old man and he was about to die. And his son Jacob knelt before him that God might bless him. And he said, chapter 27, verse 29, let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now, here again, you might argue and say, but wait a minute, wait a minute. He may, uh, uh, Isaac was deceived. He thought he was giving this blessing to Esau, not to Jacob. But actually, we can see here that this was a turn of event, events from God. Look at verse 33. He said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. So, so God was working here behind the scenes so that this blessing was to pass down through the, the one he had chosen, which was Jacob, later renamed Israel. And God made this choice even before Jacob and Esau were born. And, of course, he is the father of all the Jewish people today, and the promise remains, may those who bless you be blessed, and those who curse you be cursed. Okay, now fast forward once again. We're going to go ahead in the book of Numbers. Find there Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and go to Numbers chapter 24. And let's just look at the whole first section here, starting in, in uh, verse 1. And, and before I read that, uh, let me just tell you, we've leaped forward in time again. So we're now 500 years into the future. The children of Israel have been in Egypt for some 400 years, but now they're free. They're on their way to the promised land, which we know as the land of Israel. And Israel's enemies along the way, Israel has always had enemies. Nothing's changed about that. They, they had some enemies that hired, who better, but a prophet of God to come and curse them. And this guy's name was Balaam. So Balaam came. He says, okay, here's a chance to make some money or whatever. I don't know why he came, but he could not curse them. God wouldn't let him curse them. Instead, he blessed them, and here's his blessing. So chapter 24, verse 1 of Numbers. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, 
he did not go, as at other times, to look for omens, but set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon him. And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than a gag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt and is for him. Like the horns of the wild ox, he shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched, he lay down like a lion, and like a lioness, who will rouse him? Blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. And there's that promise uh, once again. Even though many centuries had paraded by and faded into the sunset, not one word of God's promise had failed. And it was just as true then as it was the day it was given. May those who bless you, Israel, be blessed. May those who curse you be cursed. Now, is there any place in the Word of God where God's promise regarding Israel has been revoked? There is not. Okay, it is still true today. The promise and, and the blessings, as well as the curse and, 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 the, and the results of that, it's all still in effect. Now, I have to tell you that there is a brand of theology floating around out there today. It's actually quite common called replacement theology. Okay, if you've ever heard of it, uh, replacement theology, I would tell you uh, without any question, is, is bad theology. It does not have any foundation in God's Word. Replacement theology teaches basically that Israel failed to do what God intended of them, and so uh, Israel failed completely and totally, and they've been replaced by the church. Okay, replacement theology. And all the promises that God had originally uh, intended and given to Israel, he took them away from Israel and he has given them to the church. Okay? If our God can break promises like that, he's not the kind of God I would be happy to follow. Okay? But many, many churches uh, embrace replacement theology. Okay? Even in Lancaster County, and, and it, it's, just, it's a common theology. I have to tell you uh, somebody else that also embraced replacement theology, and his name was Adolf Hitler. Okay, and that is why he felt like he could so freely persecute the Jews because they failed God and all the promises that were given to them are to us. Now, of course, he considered himself sort of a Christian, although obviously he wasn't. And this is why some people in, in the name of Christ have risen up against the Jews in, in crusades and pogroms and anti-Semitism, railing against the Jews, blaming them for all the troubles of the world. And I just have to tell you, this uh, is a lie that comes straight from the pit of hell. Okay, Satan himself is behind all this. And such thinking shouldn't have any place in the heart of someone who truly is following the Lord Jesus and understands his word. 
Now, I want to take you to one more passage, and this one's in Jeremiah chapter 31. So find your place there. It's a little bit later in the, New Test- in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, first 10 verses. And again, we're leaping forward in history this time, almost a thousand years, okay? And this is a prophecy. This is an interesting prophecy because it's actually a prophecy that's being fulfilled right now in, in our generation. So this is interesting. Okay, Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 1. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel. And they shall be my people. Okay, so understand right here, right at the beginning, this is a prophecy about the nation of Israel. Verse 2 Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Okay? And again, now we, we, we can apply that to us, but this was a promise, this was a statement made directly uh, about and to the people of Israel. It was a promise, a statement about them as a nation, the nation of Israel. And again, is there any timeline whereby God is going to withdraw that, that promise, that love from Israel and break off the special relationship he has with them? And the answer is no, there's not. Verse 4, again, of Israel, he says, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Okay, now let's just stop there for a moment. Okay, has that prophecy been fulfilled? I mean, for a couple thousand years or more, Israel was not a nation, but all of a sudden now, in the lifetime of at least some of us here, Israel has been born again. It's it's a nation again today. They have been rebuilt. Reading on, again you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. They're doing that there today. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of of Ephraim. Arise and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them, I'm in verse 8 now, Behold, I will bring them from the north country, or from the land of the north, and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Now let me just stop there again. Okay, what is the land of the north? Okay, if you're in Israel, okay, and you look way off to the north, what is the northernmost land? Well, it's the, we would call it Russia today. And, and more than one in four Israelis today is, is of Russian descent. So this is not a metaphor. This is a literal prophecy that has come to pass again in our lifetime. And he is even today regathering the, the, the descendants of Jacob from all over the world, and they're coming back to their ancient land of Israel. This is happening today, the Aliyah, the return. Okay, I, I've known uh, American Jews, you know, living in this country, who said, you know, we just feel like we need to move to Israel. And today there are more Jews living in Israel 
than, than any place else in the, in the rest of the world. Okay, so let's keep going here. Verse 8. He says, okay, I'll bring them from the north country. I will gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor together, a great company. They shall return here, okay, to the land. And it says in verse 9, with weeping they shall come. Now let's just stop and think about that for a moment. When was the nation of Israel reestablished, the modern nation of Israel? Okay, May 14, 1948. Does anybody know what happened in the years right before 1948? Yeah, you know your history, okay? You know that was the Second World War, and, and Adolf Hitler turned his eye against the Jews, tried to wipe them out once and for all. Uh, about half uh, uh, of, of the world's Jews, six million Jews, were uh, destroyed during that Holocaust. So did they come back to the land with weeping? Yeah, they did. Verse 9, With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back I will make them walk by brooks of water and a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. Okay, and these prophecies are coming true today. Even though many hundreds of years have passed by from the time they were given, they are coming true today. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, a few years back, uh, was at the gates of Auschwitz, and he uh, had read or was referring to Ezekiel chapter 37, which talks about the return uh, of, of the Jews to the land. And he, he declared that that prophecy had come true in, in his lifetime. Now, if the Prime Minister of Israel, who by the way, he's not really a particularly religious man, but if he can say that, that, that Ezekiel chapter 37 has come true, is it not possible that all these other prophecies might be coming true in our lifetime as well? And uh, we need to teach people that these are the prophecies, and we need to understand them uh, because we're living in, a, in an age when many of them are coming to pass. Now, God has loved Israel with an everlasting love, and he has promised that those who bless Israel will be blessed and those who curse her will be cursed. Okay, now with that biblical foundation, I want to go on and ask several questions which follow from this promise of God. And first ask the question, why did God choose Israel? And here's the answer. That all the nations of the earth might be blessed through her. And you can go all the way back to that first promise that we looked at in Genesis chapter 12. And you can see that where we find these exact words. He says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. Why? He says, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so God chose Abram and promised to make him a great nation, blessing him and making his name great, so that he could be a blessing. And in him, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And so God chose Israel that through her, all the world might know that the Lord is God and come into a personal relationship with him. 
Now, but for the Jewish people, this, this uh, choosing has not always been viewed as a, as a good thing. Sometimes being chosen by God is quite a burden. And, and sometimes the Jews have prayed, God, why couldn't you have chosen someone else? Okay, this hasn't really worked out really well for us. Okay, but God chose Israel. That was his sovereign choice. But because God chose Israel, Pharaoh also chose Israel. And so did Hitler, and so did Stalin, and so have the leaders of Iran, and so have Hamas and Hezbollah, and so will a coming leader from Russia, the Bible identifies uh, as Gog of the land of Magog, so will the coming Antichrist, and it's like a target has been painted on their chest. And I I found this cartoon, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, go to the next slide there for me. You ever seen that one? There's two deer talking to each other, and the one has what looks like a target, Painted on his chest, and the other deer says, Hey, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. <laughs> you know, to the Jews, it's just about what it feels like. It's like God has put a target on there. Yeah, you chose me. Yeah, you put a bullseye right in my chest so that everybody would shoot at me. That's what it feels like to them sometimes. Okay, next question. Then why should we bless Israel? And if you're using your sermon outline this morning, I'll, I'll give you several answers you can write down. First reason, we should bless Israel because God has. If God has blessed Israel and, and told us to do that, we don't need much more of a reason than that. Okay? Last week, I think I said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it for me. Okay? Doesn't matter. Okay? If God said it, that's good enough. We should bless Israel because God has. Second, we should bless Israel because they have blessed us. They gave us Jesus. Don't ever forget that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was a, was a Jew. And his mother was Jewish. He was from the Jewish people. He grew up going to synagogue. He was from the nation of Israel. When God put on human flesh and became a man, he put on Jewish flesh. And on top of that, they gave us the Bible. We would not have the Bible, the Old Testament, or the New Testament, if not for the Jews, and we should thank them. And yet one more thing, uh, I would say they even gave us the church. The disciples were all Jewish, okay? All the first Christians, or at least almost all the first Christians, were, were Jewish. The very first church was born in what city? Okay, Jerusalem. Okay, the first Christian missionaries were Jewish, and, and on it goes. And it's no wonder that Satan hates the Jewish people so badly because they have been the instrument of God's blessing to the whole world. But there's another big reason why I think we should bless Israel, because it will bring blessing to us. Remember this promise that, that God uh, made, that those who bless Israel will in return be blessed. And if we as individuals, if, if we as a nation want God's blessings, it's imperative that we bless what God has blessed. And that means being a blessing, among other things, to the nation and the people of Israel. Now, here's one more reason why I believe that we as a nation should bless Israel, because it will help protect us. I actually can't think of any single thing more important to the future safety and welfare of our nation than standing in support of Israel. And I would rather see us completely disband our military than turn our back on the nation 
of Israel. Because I happen to believe that God can do a better job protecting us than even our armed forces can. Now, I say that with no disrespect whatsoever to uh, our, our servicemen and women. I've got a son who served in the Marine Corps and did a tour of duty in Iraq, and he's serving today still in the Air Guard. We need our military. I'm grateful for those who are willing to serve. But they are not our greatest protection. If we want to bring judgment and attacks and trouble and disasters of all kinds on this nation, the fastest way I know to bring that about is to turn from being a blessing to Israel and start being a curse. The most dangerous thing that we as a nation could ever do is to turn away from blessing Israel. But if you've followed the news over the last number of years, you know that under our previous administration, we did a lot, actually, to turn away from blessing Israel. Now, why does this really matter? You could say it's just all foreign diplomacy. You know, why, why does foreign diplomacy really matter that much? Okay, you know, there's always going to be differences in how best to approach that. And with so many other uh, pressing problems to address, is this one really that big of a deal? And I, I believe it is, and I want to tell you why. Uh, why, uh, or, or what happens if we, as a nation, okay, stop blessing Israel? Well, let me, let me give you some history, and some of this may be history that you're not really all that familiar with. Okay, early in the last century, in Great Britain, there was strong support for the Jewish people and for the establishment of a Jewish state, okay, which there had not been for uh, almost two millennia. And in 1917, okay, this is just over 100 years ago, there was uh, an official statement that came forth from the British government. It was called the Balfour Declaration. And in the Balfour Declaration, they promised the Jews a national homeland in what was called at that time Palestine. And that was earth-shaking news. Now, for centuries, Jews had only dreamed of such things. You know, they said, oh, next year in Jerusalem. Well, here this dream looked like it was going to start to come true. And, and uh, with the support of Great Britain here, which was probably the most powerful nation on earth at that time, it looked like that dream was going to become a reality. Now, what was God doing, or let's, let's put it this way, what was happening to the nation of Great Britain on the world scheme uh, around that time? Well, Great Britain, right around the same time, rose to the pinnacle of worldwide power and influence. Okay? They had an empire that spanned the, the whole globe. Okay? They were worldwide leaders in industry and in commerce. They had by far the strongest military in the world. We were just a, a weak third-rate power at that time, okay, uh, and they were blessing the Jews, and in return, God blessed them as a nation. Okay, but that changed. Sadly, that all changed, and not many years later, under the British mandate in, in Palestine, Britain actually turned against the Jewish people. Uh, the reason for that was because oil became important, and the Jews didn't have any oil, but the Arabs did. They had a lot of it, actually. And wanting to gain influence over that oil, uh, Britain turned away from supporting the Jewish people and they started supporting the Arabs. And they did everything they could to block Jewish immigration into Palestine. They threw tens of thousands of Jews into concentration camps on the island of Cyprus. These were the same people who had 
fled from Hitler's concentration camps. They're looking for finally a place they can call their own, and they get almost there, and the British rounded them up, and they threw them into more concentration camps. And they also made it completely illegal for Jews in the land to own any kind of weapons whatsoever. Uh, if they caught you with any, if you were caught with a bullet in your pocket, you would get a death penalty, okay, from the British mandate. But only if you're a Jew, okay? If you're Arab, you can, you can buy all the rifles, all the weapons you wanted. And the long and short of it is that the British Empire completely reneged on their promise to grant the Jews a homeland, and for many years they did everything they could to hinder them and actually empowering uh, the Jewish enemies. Now, no thanks to Great Britain, Israel did become a state, but what has happened to Great Britain in the years since then? What about their worldwide empire? They've lost it all. There is no more British Empire. Okay? Their worldwide leadership and industry and commerce, well, that's evaporated. It's gone. Okay, their once great military that stood firm against Hitler and helped win the Second World War, they're just a second-rate power today. And could it be that their collapse came about as a direct consequence of their betrayal of the Jewish people? Now, who can say? But I do know that God has told us that he who blesses Israel will be blessed, and he who curses her will be cursed. Now, meanwhile, what of the United States? At the same time that Britain was abandoning Israel, many in the United States were coming to their aid. One of the greatest friends uh, that Israel ever had was President Harry Truman, who, by the way, was a Democrat. Okay? And Truman uh, directly intervened to help get arms and support to the fledgling state of Israel. And because of his influence, the United States was the very first nation on earth uh, to, to recognize Israel as an independent state, actually only minutes after they declared independence. And Truman marked the beginning of a long line of U.S. administrations who have stood steadfastly by the side of their friend Israel, with only one exception. I'll talk about that in a moment. But in the years since Truman, uh, let me ask this question. What has happened to the power and the influence of America? as it relates to the rest of the world. Well, we are now the world's only superpower. We are without question the leader of the world in industry, commerce, finance, entertainment, innovation, foreign policy, and many, many other ways. Okay? Our military is by far the strongest the world has ever known. We are the wealthiest nation that the world has ever known. We are the enemy of the whole world. That's why we have an immigration problem. Everybody wants to come here. This is a place that God has blessed. Let's go there. Now, how did all this happen? Is it just possible that God's word is true and that when he says those who bless Israel will be blessed and those who curse Israel will be cursed? Now, is it possible that maybe he really meant that? So does it matter? Does it matter whether we as a nation stand in support of Israel or not? Well, I, I believe it does. And what happens if we stop? What happens if we don't bless Israel? Well, maybe God will stop blessing us. What happens if we curse Israel or turn against them? Maybe God will curse us. 
Now, I do have a concern for the future of our nation regarding this, because up until recently, support for the nation of Israel has been bipartisan, okay? Uh, there's, in our Congress, there's overwhelming support for the nation of Israel, and that's across the line. Uh, Democrats and Republicans, overwhelming support for Israel, and that's a, that's a very good thing. But as you know, our country is very sharply divided, becoming more sharply divided all the time between Democrats and Republicans, the, the left and the right, you know, conservatives and, and the liberals. And honestly, I don't think we've seen this level of division in our nation since the days of the Civil War. But since the days of Harry Truman, when Israel first became a state, every presidential administration has been strongly supportive of Israel, except for one, okay? And that was the Obama administration, which at times was openly hostile. And I'm not trying to be political. I'm just, I'm just trying to state the facts, okay? Under President Obama, U.S.-Israeli relations uh, fell to an all-time low. Now, We've got a new president now. Some people like him, some people don't, okay? But one thing you have to say about him is he is the most supportive pro-Israel president uh, that we have ever had. Now, my concern is that our support for, or that support for Israel could become a partisan issue, okay? Because there is such uh, open hostility on, on the part of many toward everything that President Trump does, if Trump supports Israel, a lot of people think, well, if he supports Israel, I've got to be against it, okay? And, and a lot of people are coming to that conclusion, that because if Trump supports anything, it's got to be bad. And uh, you couple that with the open hostility toward Israel that uh, was demonstrated uh, when Hillary Clinton was, was uh, Secretary of State and when Barack Obama was President and pretty soon, I, I, I'm afraid that people are going to conclude that this is a Republican thing, okay? And if you're not Republican or if you're not conservative, then we don't want to go there. And that would be a huge shift, okay? And that would be a very bad thing, I believe, for the future of our country. But it's, I do think it's actually already happening. You're starting to see a pretty dramatic falling off of support for Israel from the left side of the political spectrum. Now, I do know this. That God says of Israel, may those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be cursed. All right, let's move away from that side of things there. Let's, let's ask one more question. How can we bless Israel, okay? Okay, I don't control United States government policy. What can we do personally to be a blessing to Israel? Well, let me mention several things. First, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And that's biblical. That's straight from the Word of God. It's, it's, if you want to write it down, it's actually Psalm 122, verse 6. And I don't even need to, to put the verse up there because that's exactly what it says. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Two, I say understand biblical prophecy. Okay? A large part of the church is ambivalent about Israel and they're ambivalent about Bible prophecy. And I say that's a terrible mistake. We should not be ambivalent about Bible prophecy. It's a huge portion of God's Word. And if we correctly understand God's Word, we are going to understand how vitally important the nation of Israel is and the Jewish people in the last days. And we're getting so very close to that. 
And if ever there was a time we need to know this stuff, I'd say it's now. Three, I would encourage you to stand with Israel. Fearlessly stand with Israel. Speak up. Let your position be known. Support Israel. Support her right to defend herself. Contact your government leaders. Let them know where you stand. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't think or that you have to agree with every single policy decision they ever make. No, you don't have to do that. But you can still be Israel's friend, and don't be afraid to let it be known that you are a friend of Israel. God will bless you for it. Four, reach out to any Jews you meet uh, with the love of Christ. There's actually a pretty sizable Jewish population uh, right in south-central Pennsylvania, in, in Lancaster County even. Now, that doesn't mean that every time you see a Jew, you have to, first thing you do, try to convert them. Okay, remember, only God can convert them, and he, he actually is saving a lot of Jewish people. But the Jewish people have been very uh, distrustful of, of Christians for a long time with good reason, because they've suffered a lot at the hands of so-called Christians. So if you know any Jews, or if you run into them, show them love. Be their friend. Ask them questions about their faith. You never know where God might open a door of opportunity Five, uh, you could even lend a hand, and by that I mean maybe, if God leads you, even send some money. Uh, one out of four Israelis today is, are, are living in poverty. Many of them have left everything behind to, to come to Israel, and some of them are living in areas where there's not good jobs. Uh, there's a, a ministry that's been around for a number of years called the Joshua Fund. It was started by Joel Rosenberg, who's uh, uh, a friend of mine, indirectly at least, and uh, reaching out to Israel and her neighbors to help meet some of those needs. Jeannie and I have supported the, the Joshua Fund, and I encourage you to consider that if God leads you to do that. And uh, let me just give you one more way you could bless Israel, if you're able. Go. <laughs> Go to Israel. I could give you a score of, of good reasons to take a trip over there. I guarantee you'll never regret it. And uh, one good reason to go, if you want to bless Israel, it helps them to know that they're not alone. And uh, Jews in Israel realize that the very best friends they have in the whole world are evangelical Christians. Uh, I've had the privilege to go to Israel many times. I've taken lots of people over there with me. I was there just a few months ago. Can't wait to go back. People are always asking me if it's safe. Oh, my goodness. Okay, it is actually safer over there than it is here. If you want to go someplace dangerous, Go to Baltimore or Chicago, okay? You want to go someplace safe, okay? Go to, go to Israel, okay? So if you ever get the opportunity, just do it. You, you won't regret it. And you will fall in love with the people and the land, and you'll start dreaming about how you can make a way to, to go back again. Well, we've looked at a promise of God today regarding Israel where he says, May those who bless you be blessed, and those who curse you be cursed. And they're not empty words. These are the promise of, of God. And the promises of God do not have expiration dates, okay? And as the world is driving away from Israel, the church of Jesus Christ needs to be driving toward her. Remember, God said of Israel, I have loved you, Israel. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Do we love Israel the way God loves her? You know, someday we're going to stand before a Jewish Messiah, and you want to hear him say, why didn't you love my people? Now, the times are changing. Anti-Semitism is on the rise again around the world, and yes, even here in this country. 
And in the days to come, it is probably going to become increasingly more difficult to stand on the side of the Jews and the state of Israel. And just like many uh, righteous Christians during World War II who paid the ultimate price for defending the Jewish people, it may come to that for us too. But I want to tell you something. I don't want to be afraid to stand in support of Israel just because somebody might not like it. And whether it's politically expedient or not, I believe that God has called us to be a blessing to the people he has chosen. I want to be known as a friend of Israel. Now that could cost me, but if it costs me, it costs me. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, this is a matter of right or wrong. Are we going to be a friend of Israel or are we going to be their enemy? Are we going to stand with her or are we going to stand far off? Are we going to be a source of blessing or are we going to join with the rest of the world and be a source of cursing? So pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And let's bow together. Let's, let's just do that together right now. Father in heaven, in your ultimate wisdom, you chose that little people group that we call the Jewish people. And you chose them to be a blessing. You blessed them to be a blessing. And Lord, we have been blessed. We have a Savior who, who grew up in a Jewish home, in a Jewish land. And we've been blessed. Lord, we, we want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, we realize that her, her enemies are many. And they want to do everything they can to get rid of her. They're not joking when they say they want to wipe her off the map and destroy and kill them all. Lord, we know that even today uh, there, are, there are rockets getting fired on a daily basis in the land of Israel just to destroy. They're sending firebombs to, to just destroy. And Lord, we pray against that. Lord, we pray for the peace of that land. Lord, we do know uh, what your word says. We know that ultimately that peace won't fully come until, Lord Jesus, you come back. But Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless that land and to bless those people. And Lord, above all things, we pray that you'd soften their hearts, that you'd bring many, many of them into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Lord, for us, help us to, to stand with her as, as individuals, and, and yes, even as, as a nation, Lord. We want to see you blessing this country. Lord, we need your hand so greatly. We are turning away from you as a nation in so many ways. Lord, we are so grieved by that. Lord, we want to see our nation standing strong and standing with you and not turning its back on you. Lord, I pray that you'd bring fires of revival upon this land. And Lord, I, I pray for our leaders, from the president all the way down to the, every local office, Lord, that they would seek after you that you'd bring them to faith in Christ, that they'd have wisdom in exercising their decisions. And Lord, this is the land where you've put us. Lord, we weren't born, most of us, someplace else. We were born here. This is our land. This is our home. And Lord, we pray that you would bless this country as you've done so much over the last 200 plus years. And Lord, that you'd turn our hearts back to you. We pray in, in Jesus' name. Amen.